Hello everyone, this is So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are tackling a boondoggle today because <laughs> we are talking about the importance or maybe lack of importance of denominational distinctives as it relates to being a worship leader, worship pastor, and ministering within a context of your own people in your congregation. What did you call this? A boondoggle? Yeah. How old are you? Like, I'm, I'm several years older than you. I'm not going to say how many, because in the last episode I said how old I was, and you said you weren't going to say how old you were. But I'm a good bit older than you, and I wouldn't say boondoggle. That's an old person word. <laughs> your like your mom words. and dad would be so proud. All kinds. All kinds <laughs> yes. of words. Yes, it is a boondoggle. It is a it is a hard to navigate kind of thing because we are in churches that we're in, and and they are distinctive and they are different from the church down the road. And people came to our church because they didn't want to go to the church down the road, and so those distinctives do matter, right? Yes, and there are theological differences. There are yep. stylistic differences. There are structural differences for sure and mm -hmm. governmental differences. Mm -hmm. And there are worship style or worship content differences that have to do with music and that don't have to do with music. And so we just want to make sure that we have the right emphasis on the right distinctives, perhaps. So think about concentric circles. I, I was going to start with a story, but because, Bethany, you introduced it that way. Think of concentric circles. <laughs> and in the middle is really like our understanding of God. And, and that shouldn't, that, that should take a lot to change. Like we, we probably should not let the identity of God be shaped differently in our belief system unless the scripture just comes at us and, and knocks us off center. I mean, that's like core. Um, the fact that Jesus really is God, for example, like we, we really need to hold on to that. That's in the middle. But the next circle out might have some distinctives that are, yeah, they're really important, but they're not as important. Um, you might put women in leadership in that kind of circle, or you might put the word inerrancy as it has to do with scripture in that circle. When you um, baptize way, people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then there are other issues that, that you might think of like tertiary or the third concentric circle out that are really rather unimportant. You know, which book do we study this month or which publisher do we buy stuff from? And those are all connected. You know, they are concentric circles, so they are, they're related to each other. But I think keeping the primary things primary and letting the secondary things be secondary and then making sure that the tertiary things stay tertiary, which Jesus seemed kind of big on when he talked to the Pharisees. You know, that whole whitewashed tombs thing. You know, you are you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. Ugh. We want to keep the insides thriving and alive with good understanding of and practice of who Jesus is and what the church is about, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I do think it's important that we allow ourselves to be distinctive from one another, but we hold tightly to the things we hold tightly to and loosely to the things we hold loosely to. And for the most part, the things that we should hold them t most tightly to, we actually have in common. Yeah. 
so we we miss our friend Sean right now and the One Church movement and One Church Collective and One Church songwriting and all that stuff because that's so much the heartbeat of all of those folks in this part of the country and in other parts of the country increasingly, which is exciting. We can come together and worship the same Jesus together, even if we have different thoughts about how we do communion or, you know, those kinds of things. So, yes, I'm I'm a fan. Um, By the way, what's your name again? Oh, I'm Bethany Pedigo. There you go. And I'm Rod Ellis. And and we forget because, you know, we batch these and we're friends and we like to just talk and we start talking and, and you might not have any idea who we are. So thank you for finding So Every Soul Sings. Um, we hope that Welcome. this joins you to a, a, a small but growing tribe of people who are who are doing worship ministry in such a way that it's not about the people on the platform. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the style. It really is about the souls in the room and, and that we unleash all of those souls to sing and we just want you to join us and be a part of it uh i I think we think that you'll discover that the more you make decisions about worship leading based on how it serves the souls in the room the more effective you will be at leading worship uh you know so this is kind of a podcast about how to do all those things how to prioritize how to practically do them. Um, we had a conference here in town a couple of months ago, and I met the first guy I've ever met who listened to our podcast before he met me, which, which is really fun. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it was worth celebrating. Um, yeah. and, and so we just hope to do that. We want to find more people that are more interested in getting everybody's soul singing than they are, you know, the other things that we tend to prioritize in worship. So welcome. We're really glad you're here. More why than how. But somehow, also. Yeah, yeah. We want to always infuse the spiritual with the practical and the practical with the spiritual. Those, those really are flip sides of the same coin. And when we separate them, we do an injustice to both. So we want to, we want to make sure that it's both um, really, really thoughtful uh, in, in its theology and philosophy, but also really practical in its implementation. So anyway, we hope we're doing that well. Uh, I have to tell you a story. This is one of my favorite tragic stories of my entire career. It's in a church that I served. Favorite tragic story. <laughs> well, you're about to find out. Oh. Um, th- this was a few churches ago, and I won't say which church. Um, I won't say which which city. But we were having what has become known, um, really sadly, as the worship wars conversation. Uh, when I got to that church, they were already singing church, and when I left that church, I would say that they would describe themselves as a worshiping church. And some of that transition happened with musical style that when I got there, it was a a blended service would would be the term that we typically use. They did songs that were old and songs that were kind of old and songs that were new and songs that were really new, Um, but more leaning towards the older stuff. And the sounds were more traditional in general with piano and organ, uh, sometimes guitar and drums. Um, But it just was a little bit, it sounded like an older church. And so some of the older um, lay leaders in the church sat down with our senior pastor and I, and um, we had a conversation that ended up talking about raising hands in worship, which I would remind our listeners is a biblical concept that Paul says to Timothy, I, I wish everybody everywhere would lift their hands in prayer. And, right. and you know, the psalmist talks about raising his, his hands in worship. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, it's biblical. It's in there. But it, it, it is, is in, in there. there. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you know, Google it, you'll find it. Um, but what we discovered is that our church was, at least part of our church, was not comfortable with that. And so one of the, one of the older men in that, in that small group conversation um, 
man, my heart broke when he said this. He, he said, uh, and I love this guy so much. He's now with Jesus. I don't have any doubt, but I, and I miss him. Um, but he said, it, it's hard for me because when I look around and I see people like that, all I think about is what it was like at the foot of Mount Sinai and people were worshiping the golden calf. And so he was equating physical demonstration of worship with idolatry. And, and he understood that that was not a biblical, that he knew, and, and that's one of the reasons I loved him so much. He knew that that was his issue. Like he, he understood that the Bible encourages the, the lifting of holy hands in prayer, um, which is what we do when we sing to Jesus, we are praying. Um, he, he got that that was his problem. But then one of the other guys in the room got really angry. And, and by really angry, I could, I think I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever seen anybody this angry in church ever about anything. His face was um, beet red. His, his brow was furrowed. His veins were bulging on his neck. And he said at the top of his voice, I don't care if it's in the Bible. If it's not Baptist, we're not doing it. And my first reaction, I mean, it was a while ago. I was younger. My first reaction was like I wanted to punch him. I, mean, it was, I was so mad and I felt so attacked. I was like, oh my goodness. And then my second one was just really on its heels. I mean, like within a second of that same reaction was the second reaction, which was sorrow. I felt so sorry for him. And I don't mean I had pity, like I diminished him. I mean, I just like my heart ached that his formation of worship was so distinctively Baptist that it couldn't be enlarged to be biblical. And anytime any of us, whether we're Baptist or any denomination, when our distinctives as a denomination become more important than the distinctives that make us biblical, I think we're in trouble. That kind of set up the whole Protestant Reformation in 1517 with Martin Luther and and the, the theses nailed on the door of Wittenberg Chapel, which eventually led to the... Second Vatican Council in the late 60s, 1960s, when the whole Catholic Church changed the way that they did worship for the better, I think everybody would say, including Catholics. Um, It really is always a desire to return to a biblical way of thinking about worship. Mm -hmm. Now, the Catholics would also equate, maybe not equate, they would give great weight to historical tradition. And, and, Mm -hmm. And I... I'd love them for that. I think there is incredible stuff to be learned from what we can see in church history and the history of the church at worship. I would differ from them and that I think the Bible always trumps history. Mm-hmm. And I think they would say that there are times when the, the historical view of the church should illuminate the Bible in, in ways that, that may make their understanding different from mine. And I'm okay with that. I, I respect them. I love them. But for us who are Protestants, you know, everybody who's not Catholic or Orthodox, um, then I think probably the way that we think about it is that the Bible is the foundation for the way we do worship. Mm-hmm. Yes, so what is, I would agree what with that. that? Yep. So what does that have to do with anything, right? I mean, how does that play out practically? And and I, <laughs> um, as Bethy and I were talking about before we hit record, I'm not sure I know. But but I'll guess uh, one of the weird things about being in ministry full time and having done it for a long time is I don't know how other people do what I do because I just do what I do. And I'm sure that I can learn from other people. And and every time we're on vacation 
um, whether when our children were little and they would moan and groan about it or now that, uh, you know, they're out of the house and my wife and I go, we know we're going to go somewhere to worship when we're on vacation because I want to see how somebody else does it. I want to learn from other people all the time. And so there are probably people who could answer these dynamics better than I can, but I'm just going to give it my best shot. Things that make our church's worship feel more biblical than Baptist. I, I want, when people walk away from worship at Woodburn Baptist Church, I want them to think, wow, that was a God-saturated, biblically formed experience. Not, wow, that's a Baptist church, just like every Baptist church I've been to. Now, if they think that, I'm not against that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay being Baptist. I wish we did some things better publicly so that we didn't have negative press. But in terms of the theological distinctives that make Baptists what we are, I, I believe in the priesthood of the believer. I, I think it's really kind of a beautiful theology or doctrine. I, I believe in baptizing people when they're believers. I, I have reasons for believing that. I, I believe in the other things that make us distinctive as Baptists. Um, but I believe them because they're rooted in Scripture, not because they're rooted in my Baptist heritage. So um, some of the ways that, that I see that happen in our church, um, we don't buy everything from Lifeway Publishing which is the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. It used to be different names through the years. Right now it's known as Lifeway or Lifeway Worship. Now, I would also say we do buy stuff from them. In fact, most of our choir music comes from Lifeway Publishing. I love the work that Craig Adams and Mike Harland and other folks in the Lifeway organization are doing music these days. And I learn from them. I listen to their podcast. I, I, I like to meet with Mike at least once a year if I can. I want to learn. I, ha, I have a list of questions every time I sit down with him. I'm a fan. But I'm not an exclusive user. I'm not going to not buy something from Lilinus or Cokesbury or, um, you know, publishers that are serving the Methodist church or the Presbyterian church or the Catholic church. You know, I'm going to buy stuff from people that I think is going to help shape the worship of our faith community in our context, because it's biblically accurate. And it's, um, it's saying something in a way that we're not already saying it. And those are the things I'm looking for. So I don't just buy from the Baptist publisher because I'm a Baptist. I buy from the publishers that are going to say the things that I think our church needs to hear, kind of regardless of who they are. And that really does shape the way that the Sunday morning looks. Absolutely. Um, you, Bethany, you have most recently, and, and I guess for a pretty good chunk of time, been a part of a church that's from the vineyard tradition which has its own publisher and its own recording industry and its own, um, you know, influencers of people who write and sing. Um, but I've been to vineyard churches and they don't exclusively do vineyard music. Is, no. is that your experience too? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. And, and every church too, I think vineyard churches uh, are maybe like, Methodist churches, maybe like every kind of denominational church, I think they differ vastly from one another. Yes. There is really not a uniform service or order of service or, you know, only vineyard songs being used in services or anything like that. Right. I've never experienced that in a vineyard church or a Methodist church for that matter. I grew up United Methodist and I've been in Assemblies of God churches, served on the worship teams there. and. Um, several non-denominational churches, which of course take from everybody because they don't have their right. own 
anything. <laughs> yeah, and I would say for a lot of people who visit our church, if they didn't see Baptist in a name, they might experience it more as a non-denominational church. And again, it's not because we downplay our distinctives. We baptize by immersion. When we do the Lord's Supper, we use the same kind of language that other Baptist churches use. We, we don't hide that we're Baptist. We're just a little broader in the things that we let influence us, and therefore we influence others with than the Baptist, um, and I would say this about any denomination, not mine, tunnel vision. You know, all of us get into the tradition we're in, and that tends to be the tunnel through which we see things. And I actually, I kind of love the fact that I read stuff from Anglicans, and I'm challenged by that. Or I, I listen to Craig Rochelle, who is um, Methodist in his background. Or I've been to conferences at where I hear from all kinds of different denominations. There's so much that we learn from one another because we see the Bible differently. We see worship experiences differently. And so then when we compare notes, it, it makes the experience bigger. And we can never make the experience as big as God is. So anything we can find that stays true to who we are, but makes the experience bigger, helps us, as the King James Version would say, magnify the Lord. And to me, that's just a win all day long. Yeah, and you also, at Woodburn, uh, connect with other people who are not mm. exactly like, like your church or mm. even specifically Baptist like me and the Soki worship community and the one church movement and the relay worship conference and worship Kentucky. And all, all of these events are all multi-denominational. Uh, I remember one, one church event we had in the band and the singers for one evening of worship. We had 26 churches represented which is amazing. And not 25 of them were the same denomination. There's a bunch of different denominations representing in, in all of those churches. Uh, yeah, it's, it really is beautiful. Our cafe worship leader, we have another venue on campus at our church. Um, Jonathan was actually saved in an assemblies of God, I think. I, I know it was a, a Pentecostal charismatic kind of place. And I'm pretty sure it was assemblies of God place where he was saved. It was in a worship gathering where he was saved. And so his evangelistic fervor in worship is beautiful. And he connects with people who are far from God just incredibly well. I love that about Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet he's leading worship in a Baptist church. Now it took a while for him to be okay with that because he wanted to be able to pull from his assembly of God or more Pentecostal kind of background. And and we were able to say, okay, here you can go farther than you might be comfortable going in a lot of Baptist churches, but there are some places we're not going to cross because then it does confuse our people. And we want to make sure that they're being served as they're being stretched, not being stretched so far that it, it breaks them or we lose our identity. And, and those places were, you know, those boundaries were bigger than he thought they would be and might be smaller than you or bigger than you would think them to be. But I love that Jonathan is now a part-time staff person in a Baptist church leading in a contemporary worship venue, and he comes from a non-Baptist tradition, and, and that he senses the freedom and responsibility to serve our folks well. Bethany, like you said, you've led worship at our church and, and you come from more recently a vineyard background, but grew up Methodist. We've, we've had other folks who come from different denominations who, who speak in our pulpit as well as lead worship. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, we're open to the influence of others as long as it drives us towards, toward God, Jesus, and the spirit as represented in the Bible. And we really want that to be our boundary. 
what would you say to someone who's possibly taken a position at a church, uh, you know, maybe a paid position, and they're not from that background? How would you suggest they open that conversation with people in leadership above them about certain distinctives that they might want to stretch? Yeah, I love that question. Thank you. Um, the first thing I would say is I would, uh, I would want to walk into any church I serve, whether it's the same tradition or a different, and be just as much of an amateur detective or amateur sociologist as possible. Like discover what makes that church tick. Read or ask questions about its history. What is it that makes this church distinctive from the churches around it? And then if those are good and beautiful and biblical things, celebrate them, make much of them, refer to them often, reward the church for the ways that it is beautifully being the church that God made it to be. And then as you do that, you might find that the thing that you're wanting to bring into the experience is like a first cousin by relation. And so, okay. So instead of having an instrumental break in this song, which we're used to, we're actually going to invite the vocalists on stage to improv during this instrumental. That's a cousin. I, I would ask the pastor, I would say, hey, or the leadership, you know, this, this might feel a little bit out of bounds and, and I don't want to do something that's out of bounds. So, so help me. Would this be okay here? As long as we ask from a, from a position or a posture of submission, then I think we're, we're always going to win. Now, I can also say that sometimes you're going to be told no. <laughs> and that's okay. Be prepared, my, people. Yeah, be prepared. Yeah. But also, my experience would say that no might be for now, not for always. So I'm not saying that to get your hopes up. But as your church's worship experience gets deeper and richer and more expressive and is more connective with who Jesus is, then the spirit will do the work of setting people free. Mm -hmm. And that freedom will enlarge the boundaries. As long as they stay biblical, they're gonna, it's going to enlarge the boundaries. And I've seen that at Woodburn. I've seen it pretty dramatically, actually. When I first came, it's been seven years now. When I first came to Woodburn, I sat down with a bunch of different people, and I asked them, if, if you could pray for God to do something that would make, us, make him smile inside our worship ministry, what would it be? And the number one request across the board, all the people I sat down with, which was like 40 or 50, um, all of them said, I wish we would have more freedom in worship. We have more freedom in worship. The Holy Spirit has done that work. In fact, I still want more, but the freedom I'm looking for us to have now is beyond what any of us could have imagined would be possible seven years ago. I said seven years, not seven months. That's important. It <laughs> yeah. takes time. The Spirit seldom works quickly. The Spirit usually works slowly. If He works quickly, Beautiful. Celebrate that. Have fun with that. I love it when it happens. But more likely, you're just going to have to be faithful and patient and, and let the Spirit do the work of expanding those boundaries as long as they are inside the biblical boundaries. Stay, expand those boundaries so that some things you're being told no about now will be yes a year from now or two years from now. And that's hard. It's really hard when you're 19. Um, it's hard now and I'm 54. It's just, it's hard, but it's really hard when you're young because a year feels like forever and two years feels like a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, so just, you know, be patient, be patient. Um, and be faithful. Keep push, keep pursuing the Holy Spirit in the same direction you feel drawn. Just don't do it in a way that disconnects you from the people that you're leading.
can you just briefly touch on what you believe the connection is between expressing things physically in worship and the idea of the Holy Spirit having freedom to move? Because I think that just like your gentleman who got very upset, you know, in your story earlier and talked mm -hmm. about if it's not Baptist, we're not doing it. I think likewise, there are people who say, well, if people aren't raising their hands, they're not worshiping. If people aren't dancing, there's no freedom in worship. If somebody's not waving a flag or jumping a pew, they're not really into it. So how would you distinguish the difference between an external expression and true worship that's occurring in someone's heart? And how would you explain that to someone who is very set on a certain outward expression? That's a really big question. Um, <laughs> you weren't ready for it. I, I wasn't, tell. but I love it. <laughs> and, and I'll do my best to answer it briefly. Um, the first thing I would say is, uh, I think the Bible in, in the old King James says something like, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And it's just good for us to remember that we aren't able to see people's hearts. We are able to see outward appearances and we make deductions from that. And, and we can, you know, you can tell if somebody's disconnected sure. that you can tell if they have checked out. Now they may have checked out because God is doing something in their heart. And so you have to be careful even in that, but, but you can kind of tell by reading faces, by looking in people's eyes as you're leading worship. Um, by the way, if you're singing lyrics that you love Jesus, don't look at somebody in the eye when you're singing it. That's just weird. Um, but when, when you're singing the words of God to people or when you're singing uh, words of testimony, then absolutely look at people in the eye and see, see what you can see in their eyes. They are the window to the soul. Um, Jesus didn't make that phrase up, but he said other things that were just like it. Like you want to be able to see through people's eyes to be able to see their soul. So look at people and see what they're doing. Um, but look at their eyes. Don't look at their hands. You know, the, if their hands are raised or their hands are lowered, it probably says a whole lot of things about a whole lot of things. But if their eyes are filled with tears or if their eyes are bloodshot or if their eyes are glazed over, that says something different. And so I think there has to be a level of um, relationship to be able to really read people and know what's going on in their lives. They may be not raising their hands because their husband died the day before. That's a whole different thing from, well, I guess they're just not getting it today. You know, let's just extend grace. Um, the other thing is there are people who are uh, extroverts and introverts. I love the Enneagram for this reason. And I know some of you are Enneagram fanatics and some of you are Enneagram haters, and that's okay. But one of the things I love about the whole way of thinking about personality through the lens of the Enneagram is it gives us permission to let people be different. It True. really is one I, of the I will most give beautiful. You that. Yeah. And, and my daughters say I'm a seven, which is an enthusiast. I say I'm a three, which is an achiever or a performer. Um, I think, I think it just doesn't matter much. I know I'm not a nine. I know I'm not a five, but what that allows me to do is when I see somebody in the congregation and I know their Enneagram type and they are somebody who is more reserved, they are more cerebral. They are, they are less likely to be demonstrative because that's their personality. Um, the Bible doesn't ever say that you have to not be who you are made in God's image to worship him. It says, be completely who you are 
what, what is it? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Um, therefore, I, I'm, I think I memorized this in the NIV a long time ago. But brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, uh, in view of God's mercy, um, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. It's you offer yourself. You don't offer the aspirational you or the more introverted you or the more extroverted you. You just offer you. And if you're offering all of who you are, then then you're fine. And as the worship leader, especially over a long period of time, you get to know who people are. And so then you're leading the people that are in front of you as diverse as they are. And you're not trying to figure out, oh, I guess that song was flat today because people didn't raise their hands or fall on their faces. No. Actually, the song was really powerful. You were flat today, and so you didn't see it. But if you were looking into the eyes of the people you were leading, you saw the single mom who just almost didn't make it that day but got there and was so grateful to have a drink of living water in that moment that you just were a part of providing. So so be a little bit more intimate as you read those signs, um, spiritually intimate, and um, and also let people be who they are. I would, one more thing, and, and I'll move on, because uh, I think this is so important. Um, I think God wants us to be people of integrity. And if what you're feeling on the inside is not being shown on the outside, I'm not sure that's the person God wants you to be as a worshiper. So if what's on the outside is cold and indifferent, it may be integrity. It may be that that person is cold and indifferent and needs to have their spiritual fire stoked. Um, that's a far greater challenge than music uh, that you're going to lead on a Sunday is going to, is going to meet most times. I mean, the Holy spirit can do anything. Uh, And it may also be that somebody is is showing off and they are looking like they are all caught up in the spirit, but really they're just wanting other people to think they are. And so again, be careful and shoot for integrity. Uh, If we aim for integrity as leaders and we lead the people in our teams to be people of integrity, then we will create a culture of integrity where the person who feels uncomfortable raising their hands won't feel like they have to. And the person who feels like they can't help but raise their hands feels free to. And that's, that's kind of what we're after in in our context. Is that helpful? Yeah. And I think you have to leave room for mystery just in Uh, general, because there have been many times as a worship leader where I felt like it was flat and people thought it was amazing or vice versa. I thought it was like amazing. And you know, (laughs) I could just tell later that people were like, what was going on today with the worship team? You know, (laughs) they tell you, people tell you stuff that you don't really want to know all the time. I I hope, I hope they're honest. And that also hints at something that, (laughs) that we need to do some more thinking about before we do an episode about, but I really want to talk about how do we evaluate worship? How do you know if it was good? And I think biblically the most obvious way, you know, it was good is if you're different. Yeah. Worship is a transformative experience. Um, If people felt something that doesn't necessarily mean it was good, it might've meant they had a bad burrito. And so (laughs) feeling is not an adequate barometer uh, it is a part of worship. People ought to feel something. You, you are supposed to worship with all of your heart. That language is all over the Old and New Testaments. So if it's an unfeeling experience, it's, we're probably not doing it very well. Um, but just because somebody feels something doesn't mean that worship happened. When, when somebody has an encounter with God in the scriptures, stuff changes. And so I, I, I want to, again, I want to dive into that deeper another time. But that's, um, yes. that's right. a part of, I think, what we're looking for not just the in the moment 
evidence is worship happening, but the after the moment evidence that worship has happened. That's good. And I think that would be true. You know, a lot of the things that you have said would be true in other churches and other denominations as well. I think so. I really do. And, and I, I don't know, cause I'm not there. I'm not you guys who are listening, who aren't in my church or my denomination or my tradition. But I, I do think that all of our, all of our people who are serious about faith want to be serious about God and about the word of God. And, and as long as we major on the things that are that those things and, and we quit drawing attention to the minor things, then I think we're going to be serving them well. Is that enough? I think that's great. I think that you answered like the hard me. question. That was good. Oh, good. So, so be biblical over denominational. Be true to the word of God, even if it means that you have to be challenging of your own tradition. If you're going to challenge, do it with respect. Do it out of submission. Ephesians 5.21 says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're not submitting to one another out of reverence for the other person. You're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ which means that you can submit to anybody. And so just be submissive. Christians often say, and and it grieves me, that it's easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. I think it is easier. I just don't think it's as godly. So ask for permission. That's a posture of surrender and submission and humility. Uh, And I I know those are biblical things. I know those are godly things. So let's try to be that way. I've been terrible about that, by the way. just to be confessional, I was, I don't mean that I wasn't good at it. I mean, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I was terrible at it. I'm now (laughs) getting better at it and I'm grateful. And I just, I want us to get there faster. So maybe this conversation will help us do that. And if you have questions or you have comments about this particular episode of our podcast, please reach out to us. Oh, love it. Yeah. You can, you can leave comments. If you're watching a a link on social media, you can leave a comment here. You can leave a comment on iTunes or Spotify. If you're doing that, that actually helps us get our profile raised a little bit so that we can have a bigger tribe of people who are leading worship. So every soul sings. So please do that. You can also email me directly. My email address is rod e ellis at gmail.com. First name rod R O D. And then my middle initial E, which stands for Edward, the same as the middle name of my father that I just buried a week ago. Um, and last name is Ellis, E-L-L-I-S at gmail.com. So Rod E. Ellis at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you guys. Um, I will share those with Bethany if they come to me directly uh, because we're in this together and, uh, and we have a blast doing it together. So thanks for being my friend, Bethany. Thank you. You guys have a great day. Make a difference so every soul sings. See you next time.